Picture this. You walk into a restaurant and are greeted by the host. They escort you to the table, hand you a menu, and pour you a glass of water. You are extremely hungry and frantically scan the menu so you can order as soon as the server returns. But then you notice something odd. There are no prices listed. You think you know what you want to order, but you hesitate until you can get clarification on the prices. The server returns and the response to your question is, well, I'm not sure what the cost is. To that you ask, how can you not be able to tell me how much my meal is going to cost? The server describes a situation like this. We don't post prices because the cost depends on how we bill you and how you pay. Sometimes we bill for the meal to include the entree, two sides, and a drink. And sometimes we bill for each item separately. The cost is different based on those two options. You as the customer don't have the option to choose how we bill. That is determined by your credit card company. They determine if we can bill for the meal or for each item. They also determine the rate they are willing to pay, so it varies by credit card company. Your response is, can I just pay with cash to eliminate all this confusion? The server replies, absolutely, but please note that it'll cost you 300% more paying yourself rather than using your credit card. Of course, this scenario is not reality, but it does illustrate the reality of how we pay for healthcare. What other industry provides you critical needs without knowledge of the cost until you get the bill? The cost of healthcare is a mystery for two reasons. First, the average consumer does not understand the essential costs of providing care, such as clinical costs, facility costs, and ancillary support costs. Second, the methods for pricing, billing, and collecting payments is extraordinarily complex. Understanding both the total cost of care and the reimbursement for that care is important for an HTM professional as these factors can drive each other. In other words, the more it costs to treat patients, including equipment service operations, the more we must charge for the care. And conversely, the less the insurance companies are willing to pay, the more expense we need to cut out of our costs. It's a push-pull relationship. When we think of HTM expenses, we think of contracts and labor and parts, but really the HTM expenses are just a small portion of the total cost of caring for patients. In general, there are three areas of expenses that contribute to the total cost of care. One obvious one is the clinical expenses. A second one is the facility expenses. And the third one are the other support expenses or ancillary support expenses. The clinical expenses are the direct patient care expenses. And many of these expenses are incurred through the care of the patient, but are also able to be billed as a billable service to that patient, typically paid by their insurance company. So when we think of clinical expenses, we can, we can break that down further into three categories. First is professional expenses. 
And this would be the care providers, a physician or a nurse or some care practitioner that's performing some sort of a procedure or doing some sort of diagnostic work directly for the patient. An example of this in medical imaging would be you have a CT exam and that exam goes for interpretation from a radiologist. So that radiologist would have a professional expense and there'd be a professional service bill from that radiologist for those services. Then there are the technical expenses. In the scenario where there's a patient with a CT scan, the technologist that is performing the CT and the costs of running that CT scanner are considered the technical expenses, and you can have a technical bill in order to accumulate some technical revenue to offset those expenses. So the technical charges and the technical bill is the cost of caring for that patient, whereas the professional charges and the professional bill is the cost of the care providers involved. Now in the course of that treatment, procedure, or exam, caring for that patient, besides the professional and technical charges, there are also some supply charges. This could be catheters or other disposables or bandages. These are things that are used and consumed through the care of the patient. And many times, these can also be billed as part of that procedure. However, that's not always the case. So you can see with these categories of clinical expenses, these are all typically, for the most part, billable services. So you are able to bill for these services in order to offset the expenses associated with those care activities. Now when we move into the second two areas, the facility expenses and the support expenses, you'll find we don't really have that direct billing capability. So when we look at the clinical expenses, those are typically performed in departments that are considered revenue generating. That means that they provide these services and they have expenses, but they have money coming in to offset those expenses. So those are revenue producing departments. Whereas the departments that typically handle the expenses related to the facility expenses and the support expenses don't typically have revenue coming in, so they're considered expense accounts and not revenue producing accounts. The second expense area are these facility expenses, and this consists of the costs of the building, the infrastructure, the utilities. So performing the procedures and performing the activities within the clinical setting and the patient care, those expenses are all covered through those clinical expenses. However, those activities have to take place somewhere within some sort of infrastructure, and that is where these facility expenses come into place. The cost of the building, cost of the infrastructure, and whether that's IT infrastructure, telecommunications, it could be medical gases, could be just the basic utilities, the electrical. These are all expenses that the business incurs and somehow the revenue generating departments have to offset these expenses as well as offset the direct patient care expenses. The third area of expenses is the support areas or the ancillary services. So this would include like environmental services or transportation of patients or the IT services or the security department of the organization or the plant operations department. This also is where the HTM services fall and where the HTM expenses fall. Now, as I mentioned, the clinical expenses are usually accommodated by revenue producing departments, whereas the facility expenses and the support expenses are typically just 
expense departments that don't bring in money. So it's very easy to see how the clinical expenses are offset by the billing of those clinical services, but it's very difficult to draw the connection between the expenses that fall under the facility and the support categories and how those are offset by the direct billing associated with the patient care. So when a patient pays for the professional services or the technical services and some supply charges, it's hard for them to get their arms around the concept of all the other expenses that go into providing that care. And likewise, it's even difficult within an organization to understand what all goes in to providing care to those patients. And because it's so easy to draw the connection between professional, technical, and supply charges and what's being billed for that care, and it's not easy to see that from the facility and support perspective, a lot of times the facility and the support expenses are the target of deep analysis in order to try to drive reductions in efficiencies because they're not revenue generating areas. But overall, the revenue coming into a healthcare organization has to offset all of the expenses of the organization and have a residual amount left over in order to fund capital spending and potential future growth of the business. So as an HTM professional, it's important to understand that cost structure and focus on influencing the areas that you have direct impact on, which is around medical equipment management. It ultimately translates to the overall cost of care. Healthcare technology management professionals don't usually have to get too familiar with the various payers involved in reimbursing hospitals for the care of patients. However, there are a couple aspects of HTM that this impacts. Number one is this impacts the overall reimbursement to the healthcare organization, which has to cover the cost of not only the direct patient care, but all of the additional expenses associated with the facility and all the support services around that patient care. So it's important to understand the reimbursement from that perspective, especially as the payer mix changes and as reimbursements drop, that impacts the overall hospital expense management and could impact the HTM operations. The other area where understanding the reimbursements and payers is important is that one major component in reimbursement of healthcare is the government programs, which is tied to the CMS, which is Medicare and Medicaid services. And if you're involved in HTM, you're very familiar that CMS has a lot of accreditation requirements that are required in order for you to get reimbursement from those programs. So those are two areas where understanding payment structure is important for an HTM professional. So in general, there are three types of payers in healthcare. So these are the entities that pay for the care of these patients. One is self-pay, one is government programs, and the last is commercial insurance. So self-pay is exactly what it sounds like. It is out-of-pocket expense for the patient. This is actually not very typical, but if a patient decided to go in with no sort of insurance coverage and just pay out-of-pocket as services were needed, the patient would go in and would pay whatever that list price is for those services. That can lead to a couple of complications. Number one is self-pay is paying the list price 
insurance programs and the government programs negotiate with providers in a way that they get discounted rates based on volume discounts and how they set up their program, whereas self-pay is just paying the published list price, whatever that might be. So that's one challenge. The other challenge is that self-pay, there's a risk there because they are not backed by an insurance program. They are You're relying on the patient's ability to pay. So if a patient does not have insurance and they end up in a situation where they can't afford to pay, they may not pay. And without that payment, the healthcare provider is not getting reimbursed for the care that they provided or the supplies that they utilized or the technology they utilized. So they have to make up that lack of reimbursement other ways which may result in having to charge those that can pay more. So the next payer group that we move to is the government programs such as CMS, so the Center for Medicare Medicaid, our government programs. It's a federal insurance program that applies to certain individuals and why this is important is that Oftentimes, the government or CMS sets the bar as far as what hospitals and healthcare providers can charge for their services. And the way they do this is by stipulating what they believe the appropriate charges would be for various services. Now, the healthcare provider can charge more for those services, but CMS will only reimburse up to a certain point, and then the patient would be responsible for the additional. The reality is that CMS payments account for a large amount of the reimbursement for hospitals and healthcare providers. There are very few organizations that operate without taking payments from a CMS program. Now I say that because participating in a CMS program is voluntary, so you can decide to not accept CMS payments but then you have to understand the financial implications of that, and you would have to rely on your patient population that would be covered by commercial insurance or potentially a self-pay situation. So the way that the CMS and Medicare Medicaid programs work is that they tie your qualification to get reimbursement from them to certain quality standards. So there's a manual that's available and CMS stipulates here are all the requirements that you have to satisfy as a healthcare provider or a care provider for patients. And if you satisfy these, you're eligible for reimbursement from CMS. Also, more in recent years, there has been this at-risk tie to quality. So in the past, you meet the quality requirements and then you get the associated reimbursements. However, some of the quality metrics are measured throughout the year and the government will actually hold some of the reimbursement. And if you don't meet certain quality requirements or have certain processes in place, that revenue is potentially at risk, meaning they'll hold that back and they won't give it to you unless you meet these requirements. CMS also plays a big role in determining what is a reimbursable service or reimbursable care. So when new technologies and new procedures come onto the market, they don't necessarily automatically get a certain reimbursement. They may be paid at a rate matched up with older technology or older procedures, and the newer technology and newer procedures may cost more, but you may only still get reimbursed for kind of the older way of doing things. After a certain point, CMS is usually the one that would determine whether they would start to reimburse. 3D mammography is an example of that. When that first hit the market, there wasn't an ability to charge for that service, even though it cost more than traditional mammography. But after a while, the market caught up and CMS would reimburse for it. 
So now we move on to commercial insurance. So if you're not self-pay and you're not covered by a government program, you would participate in commercial insurance. So commercial insurance typically reimburses the hospital at slightly higher rates than what CMS would reimburse. Coverages may vary as well. Typically commercial insurance will follow CMS. So if CMS will reimburse certain procedures or certain care, typically commercial insurance will follow Sometimes the opposite would be true. Sometimes commercial insurance will adopt something before CMS, but in general, it, it tends to follow the other way around. So now we're gonna move into the, the billing side. So we just kind of talked about the payers, but now let's talk about how that's billed. So if care is provided, typically a bill is issued at list price. We refer to that as gross build revenue because uh, it's the total build revenue, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the actual payment that the hospital gets. Because remember, both CMS and commercial insurance negotiate rates from the list price. So if you're self-pay, technically you're going to get billed list price, but if you're under these insurance programs, whether it's government or commercial, you're going to have a lower negotiated rate. So your gross build revenue is not necessarily the reimbursed revenue that you receive. So if you hear that term being used in conversations around healthcare finance and they're talking about gross bill revenue and using that as a number, it's somewhat of a, an imaginary number because it's not actually what you're going to get paid. You'll bill out a certain amount of payments based on the negotiated rates and you're going to receive payments and that's going to be your actual revenue. And that revenue needs to offset all of your expenses and provide enough margin in order to reinvest in your capital plan or to grow as an organization or invest in additional business opportunities. Before we end the discussion on payments and billing and reimbursements, I want to go back and touch on CMS one more time. CMS is a federal insurance program. Within the HTM industry, we tend to think of CMS as a regulatory or compliance agency because we know that CMS provides guidelines and standards that we need to comply with, and the deemed organizations such as the Joint Commission are based off of what CMS establishes as the quality standards. CMS is a voluntary program, so if you choose not to accept reimbursements from patients covered by Medicare or Medicaid, you do not need to participate with their quality program. However, most healthcare organizations treat patients that are covered by Medicare and Medicaid since it applies to most people over the age of 65, uh, some individuals with certain disabilities, and some other needs that are covered under Medicare and Medicaid services. So for a healthcare organization to not participate in CMS, it could have a detrimental impact on their financial bottom line. So that wraps up our discussion on billing and reimbursement, and hopefully that gives you a better idea of where the revenue comes from in order to cover the expenses associated with patient care, and more specifically with healthcare technology management.